0: Good day and welcome to the third season of the Energy Policy Now podcast from the Climate Center for Energy Policy at the University of Pennsylvania. I'm Andy Stone. In August, the Environmental Protection Agency revealed its replacement for the Clean Power Plan, the Obama-era regulation to reduce greenhouse gas emissions from the electric power industry. The replacement plan, championed by current EPA acting administrator Andrew Wheeler with backing from President Trump, does away with broad carbon emissions reduction targets for the electricity industry. Instead, the proposed regulation, called the Affordable Clean Energy Rule, or ACE, would require only that existing coal plants become more energy efficient. The result is likely to be modest reductions in carbon emissions at best from the electricity sector while the lives of some coal plants could be extended. Over the next two months, the public will have the opportunity to comment on the ACE rule, after which the EPA will finalize the plan. A litany of legal challenges will surely follow, as will debate as to whether the EPA in fact has the legal latitude to weaken the very carbon dioxide standards that it had deemed essential to limiting climate change and protecting human health just a few years ago. Here to discuss the new EPA rule is one of the principal architects of the original Clean Power Plan. Joseph Goffman is executive director of the Environmental Law Program at Harvard University. From 2009 to 2017, he served as senior legal counsel in the EPA's Office of Air and Radiation, where the Clean Power Plan and its replacement were both written. Joe will provide insights into the legal issues surrounding ACE. And we'll also discuss legal challenges facing the EPA's current parallel effort to relax automotive emission standards. Joe, welcome to the podcast.
1: Thank you very much, Andy. I really appreciate the opportunity to be here.
0: So, Joe, you were at the EPA until just last year. Could you tell us a little bit about your role in writing the Clean Power Plan?
1: I shared leadership responsibilities with um, the acting assistant administrator for air and radiation, Janet McCabe, And, of course, the the principal um, for us was Gina McCarthy, who was U.S. EPA administrator at the time. Uh, And uh, the three of us worked together with a rather large team of fellow political appointees uh, and career experts on the EPA staff. Um, And we went about solving the problem uh, that resulted in the Clean Power Plan being developed in the following way. We went out across the country and had endless numbers of discussions with stakeholders of every stripe uh, in every part of the lower 48 states, um, including with Native American Indian tribes as well, in order to collect as much information as possible about how states, how utilities, how other players, how the authorities responsible for maintaining electricity, elect, reliability in the electricity system, we're thinking about the task of lowering carbon dioxide emissions from the electricity sector. Uh, and we did our best to collect and synthesize as much of that information as possible so that, in the end, the Clean Power Plan was uh, almost like holding up a mirror to the states in the utility industry, reflecting back to them what we had learned from them about the way the utility system operated and how those operations had to be integrally reflected in whatever the CO2 emission standards were that we developed.
0: So that's interesting. So you got a broad range of input from across the the electricity sector on on what was essentially doable in in the context of you know lowering the the emissions,
1: absolutely. The, the knowledge gathering and the and the sort of sheer interaction between us and uh, and and everybody who had a stake in this policy, and even people who didn't realize at first that they had a stake in this policy, um, was was vast and expansive, and we continued it from the summer of 2013, you know, right until um, the the day the rule was signed in August of 2015.
0: So now looking at the new rule, the affordable clean energy rule, um, that focuses narrowly on emissions from coal-fired power plants rather than taking the broad industry-wide approach that you were just describing. Why this narrowing of the focus?
1: Well, um, what the uh, what current management at the EPA claims they're doing is remaining faithful to the statutory text of the Clean Air Act, and they put an enormous amount of weight on the idea that the Clean Air Act uses the word source uh, in the singular to, in their view, constrain them to look only at individual sources and what can be done at individual sources. Um, and Our learning, and I should say by our I mean the very same EPA's learning three, four, five years ago, was that uh, the way in which power plants operate really gives a, a different meaning to the word source, that if you're actually true to the logic of the particular provision of the Clean Air Act, when you set standards, when you interpret the language and when you set the standards, you have to take into consideration how the source operates. And in this case, um, there's all, in, in the power sector, there's almost, I don't want to overstate this, but there's almost no such thing as a single source. Um, power plants operate in large interconnected networks, and it's the networks or the electricity grid that really determines uh, their hour-to-hour or even minute-to-minute fate in terms of whether they operate more or less whether their utilization um, is called on uh, or dispatched extensively or whether their utilization is backed off by, in most cases, uh, cheaper uh, and, in some cases, cleaner uh, generation. So we, we, we felt that the, that the statute required us to give that particular uh, reality informed reading of that language. Yes. So this really does come down to a clash a clash of legal interpretations if you take what the agency is saying at face value. But for reasons we can talk about, Andy, that's kind of the big if.
0: This is about the definition of source. Is source an individual power plant in this context, specifically a coal-fired power plant, or is it the aggregation of everything that provides electricity, the the grid and all the plants that are are connected to it. So what does the Wheeler EPA see as the advantage then, and what does it hope to gain out of narrowing the focus of source specifically to a single power plant?
1: Well, um, having uh, done my best um, here with colleagues, to study the plan, that is to study ACE, which has been out in public for, I guess, about eight or nine days, we've concluded that if you want to make sense of it, you need to ignore the mask that it's wearing um, as, a, as a climate change or greenhouse gas emission rule and see that what it really is is a pair of subsidies to the coal industry. The, the way the proposal appears to work is this. Um, it requires utilities and states, to examine each existing coal-fired power plant.
0: Only see, coal-fired power plants?
1: Only coal-fired power plants to see if um, any of the menu of heat rate improvement technologies um, can be applied to the plant uh, that's that's being examined. And again, each plant in each state needs to undergo this process. Now, what you're really asking the states and the utilities to do is to uh, look at plants that, um, because they are either not very economic or borderline uneconomic, to see whether or not they shouldn't be the recipients of additional investment or additional additional money. So it, it looks like um, what this plan would really have the effect of doing is instigating put more putting more money in the existing coal fired. Um, And again, when EPA was doing the clean power plant, one of the things that we were told again and again and again is that there was no point requiring heat rate improvements, because if a utility determines that a, a plant is economic, then the utility itself on its own motion as a business decision will make investments in heat rate improvement, because that's just good business. So what essentially this plan is doing is either serving to be redundant of those plants that already have an economic justification for these investments, or in the case of plants that are only marginally economic, uh, trying to instigate the additional investment of money in those plants. And that's that's why I say that, uh, uh, that that's the first of what I identify as the pair of subsidies um, that... that that ACE performs or ACE delivers. The other subsidy is a regulatory subsidy. And by that, I mean that ACE includes a uh, essentially a new loophole in the new source review program. Uh, and the new source review program has been relied on for a very long time by states and the EPA to ensure that when a when an existing, in this case, power plant makes an investment in uh, upgrades or renovations of the sort that um, will extend its life and in all likelihood increase its operation, uh, the new source review uh, requir- the new source review program uh, seeks to ensure that any of the inevitable emissions increases that occur as a result of that renovation or reinvestment process are kept to a minimum. Now, EPA's analysis suggests that those plants that select heat rate improvement options
0: efficiency the, improvements essentially that,
1: that's right, efficiency improvement uh, technologies or practices uh, both both history and the ACE analysis uh, strongly suggest that those plants will actually see emissions increases at least on a, on a total or annual basis in SOx NOx, and other conventional pollutants that those power plants will emit. Normally, um, if the new source review program were left undisturbed, the new source review program would function to minimize those additional emissions. But in this case, what the um, ACE proposes to do is to uh, essentially waive off uh, new source review requirements. Uh, that is to say, wave off the requirements that would require utilities to ensure that their emissions are minimal. Um, and as a result, you have, uh, you know, the marriage of an affirmative requirement um, that could well trigger additional investment in coal-fired power plants that would not otherwise see that investment, and a facilitation of that investment by essentially moving the cost of controlling pollution to the public that will now bear the cost um, of being exposed to additional uh, uh, under-control pollution.
0: Got it. Just just to make sure that I understand, then, so the new source review would require any plant that makes upgrades to examine whether those upgrades would lead to higher emissions after the upgrades were in place, and if higher emissions of SOx, NOx, particulate matter, those types of things were higher. We're not talking specifically about carbon emissions at this point. But if those other emissions were higher, then that plant would need to invest in additional emissions controls to control for that. And that would raise the cost of the upgrades. So essentially they wouldn't get done. So this waiving of the new source review or, or modification that you're talking about, means that the coal plants have to do less upgrades it makes it more economically feasible to make those upgrades and it gives them a longer lease on life is that is that the bottom that,
1: that, line that is, that's the bottom that's the bottom line and you know you see how you know using a kind of targeted deregulation that deregulatory move works as works as a as a subsidization you know essentially at bottom utilities still have to see a business case for step one um, making efficiency or heat rate improvements and then step two uh, under current law making any additional improvements they have to make uh, in order to make sure that the heat rate improvements um, don't also lead to a total uh, an increase in total SOx, NOx, and, and fine particle. Production.
0: Why would a more efficient plant uh, emit more SOx, NOx, and particulate matter?
1: Uh, well, remember, these plants are all uh, connected to a larger web and um, or a larger network. And once you, make a, once you make heat rate improvements, you create a very strong uh, economic tendency for the plant to run more. Um, the plant is, in fact, more efficient in terms of generating electricity per unit of fuel it consumes. And of course, since the utility has made the investment in the plant, it has an incentive to have the plant run more so it can generate more revenue um, to pay off the investment. But really the driver is that um, the, 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 the efficiency investment makes, it a, makes the plant a more economically attractive uh, generator uh, as far as the grid is concerned. And so at the end of a given period of time, that plant will be operating more and therefore emitting more unless you also control the uh, added emission.
0: And I just want to ask you just to clarify as well regarding the, how the efficiency increase would, uh, in an ideal world, actually lower carbon emissions specifically. Can you explain how that plays out?
1: Uh, I cannot, and neither can the EPA. Uh-huh. Okay. Um the EPA will tell you that its only job is to lower the rate of carbon dioxide emissions. That is to say, lower the increment of carbon dioxide emissions uh, uh, per unit of electricity output. And the EPA will argue, and, and essentially that the case it makes for ACE, is that um, our job is not to control total emissions. Our job is to just lower uh, carbon emissions rates um, or carbon intensity. Um, and, you know, the, the, the EPA did put out a regulatory impact analysis, as it always does when it proposes a rule and then when it finalizes a rule. Um, and it's, it's if you look at the regulatory impact analysis, um, you'll see that it's very hard to see um, how the uh, how the proposal actually reduces total CO two emissions on a net on a net basis.
0: Well, I, I think the EPA's own analysis has shown a very minimal uh, reduction. Is that is that right?
1: It, it, it's shown a minimal reduction. At, that is correct, um, and uh, it's shown a large showing a large overall reduction because. Making some very heroic assumptions about how low uh, cost natural gas will remain over the next 10 or 15 mm-hmm. years, uh, and how many coal plants will retire in any event. Right now, natural gas prices are are are, are fairly low. Um, the agency appears to assume that they will go even lower and stay lower. Um, and in those, in that case, um, we will see some minimal emissions reductions uh, that's, that are, can be attributed to this rule. If gas prices fluctuate or if they rise, um, and if there has been a significant amount of investment in uh, upgrading coal plants as opposed to granting them waivers, um, then you could see coal displace gas in the next you know, 10 or 12 years uh, in a way that would result in... in uh, emission, you know, greater emissions than the EPA now projects, and certainly greater emissions than would occur um, had the clean power plan gone into effect
0: so you have been a lawyer in this industry for quite a long time, and i'm sure you've seen quite a lot of a lot of uh, environmental uh, lawsuits and, and and challenges, et cetera over that time and I think that the next question uh, I really want to get into here is the legality of ACE and wh- whether it will actually stand up in court. Now, first off, taking a step back, the Clean Power Plan was never actually implemented. It was stayed by the Supreme Court. Uh, now we've got ACE coming up from the Wheeler uh, EPA. And it, it seems to me that there's this whole issue of the inside the fence, outside the fence do we only regulate coal plants or do we regulate the whole entire industry that is going to be central to whether this thing actually survives? Can, can you go into that issue for us?
1: I think the, uh, if, if ACE is finalized, issued as a final rule, in more or less the way um, it, it has been proposed, um, an awful lot will be riding on... on the question of whether or not the statute says that the agency can only set requirements based on individual plants—that that is at the source or, as people refer to it, within the fence line. Um, I think people will um, challenge that uh, by saying uh, the agency has to give, uh, give, giving a literal reading of any given word in the statute, when, in fact, the literal meeting, reading is misleading about the underlying facts, people will will make that argument to challenge the the reading that the that that uh, the EPA is proposing.
0: Of source um, itself, the the word yes, source. The,
1: yes, exactly. And and um, I, you know, I, I think the, the there will be there are other terms in the statute. One of which is best system of emission reduction, and the the. The challengers will ask the court to scrutinize carefully whether the agency really gave meaning to that term, because that's a part and parcel of, um, of of the agency's authority and responsibility. Um, I should double back for a second and say that this, this this dispute, if you will, about whether or not the agency's authority stops at the fence line or whether it can or even must reflect the reality of the networked operation of this category of sources, really was teed up last fall when the agency did a standalone proposal simply to repeal the Clean Power Plan. And that's where they first unveiled um, the, the the competing legal theory. Um, that repeal has not been finalized yet. And um, it could well be, and this is just speculation, that the agency will uh, attempt to finalize the straight-ahead repeal of the CPP and of ACE at the same time um, so that it's all litigated at once. But again, I don't know that. I'm just speculating. Um, the the agency also, I, I would certainly argue that in ACE, it... it um, abandon a central responsibility, which is to really set a definition of what the best system of emission reduction is, um, so that when the states put together their implementation plans, there's a a frame of reference or a a metric against which to determine whether or not they have succeeded in, in putting together an adequate plan. The Part of the Clean Air Act that the agency relied on, both for the CPP and for ACE, really is a model of the partnership of state authority and federal authority. But where you draw the line, and where you assign responsibilities to the states versus responsibilities to the federal government, um, has to be observed carefully and precisely. And I would argue that um, the agency didn't do all of its job with ACE and left too much uh, authority and, if you will, work to the states. So that's going to be another area that I think will be, will be will be challenged.
0: One of the things that's very much missing for ACE is there is no actually and uh, no emissions reduction target at all. Clean Power Plan shot for thirty two percent reduction by twenty thirty. There is no equivalent in ACE. It's that's, do that, that, that's it's correct. do the best you can do, right?
1: Yes, do the do the best you can do, and um, and ACE gives states. A lot of latitude to find, if you will, off ramps, um, uh, to um, uh, for for the plants within their jurisdiction, uh, in terms of whether they have to meet requirements uh, at all. Um, you know, it's it's entirely possible that this that ACE could precipitate retirements on the part of power plants, but ACE doesn't even suggest a, a timetable by which to judge whether or not a power plant should be allowed to retire or, if it's going to run past a certain number of years, be required to make improvements. Um, You know, I I, 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 I really anticipate that if ACE is eventually implemented, then what you'll see is states that have politics around coal will be trying to instigate their utilities to tweak up their investments in their coal plants. In order to maintain demand, um, and other states um, that are uh, indifferent will not make requirements. May put some nominal retirement dates in their power plants permits, um, but those dates may be far into the future. So, uh, I think on a state by state basis, there will be there just really isn't any path by which this will achieve any kind of meaningful. CO2 reductions and it may result in CO2 increases.
0: If the courts were to rule, in litigation that's surely coming up uh, on the whole issue of ACE, if the courts were to rule that the EPA is overreaching by trying to, um, to regulate outside of the fence line, does that mean any future administration would not be able to Overturn ACE or modify it to be a much more holistic approach, like the Clean Power Plan initially it had intended to be.
1: Well, I think it. I think it depends on the posture of the question that's in front of the court. Um, it, it, since the agency is moving to repeal the Clean Power Plan and then replace it with ACE, then what will be before the court is not the legality of the Clean Power Plan. What will be before the court is the legality of the repeal of the Clean Power Plan and the legality of ACE. And that means the court will be looking at the agency's position that it can only regulate within the fence line. Now, the agency will have two choices. It can either argue to the court that it must interpret the Clean Air Act in the way it's interpreting it, and there's no other possible way to interpret it. Or it will go before the court and say, the court should defer to the agency because its interpretation is reasonable. Regardless of the fact that there might be other interpretations, this inside-the-fence-line interpretation is a reasonable one, and therefore should be upheld. If the case comes up, under the first option. If the agency uh, sort of goes for broke and tries to persuade the court that there's only one interpretation, and if the court agrees, then that will all but close off the path for future administration to look at a system-wide approach. If the agency takes the less risky approach, at least in terms of litigation, and argues that their interpretation may or may not be the only one, but it's reasonable, and therefore should, should be uphold. And if the court agrees with that, then a successor, a successor administration may be able to go back to court with a new rule based on a system-wide approach and persuade the court that its interpretation is at least as reasonable, and therefore the court should permit a system-wide approach. So it, it really depends on what the final repeal rule looks like and what the final ACE looks like before we know how do the agency going to frame the question to the court.
0: There's one other uh, area I wanted to ask you about that could be up for legal legal challenge, and that, that's going back to the issue of, of new source review that we were talking about a few mm-hmm. few minutes ago. The new source review modification, as I understand it, would allow these, these upgrading coal plants to not actually have to go through the new source review. They wouldn't have to make any of their additional emissions upgrades, as I understand, and that will help their economics. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's interesting that this new source review modification is designed that if it is not upheld in court, the rest of ACE survives. Can you talk about the importance of, uh, of that?
1: Well, um that there is a history um, uh, of previous administrations, notably most recently the Bush administration, of attempting to make changes in the New York Service Review Program, not unlike the change that's been proposed here. And those changes have, by and large, been rejected by the courts. So the agency knows, given that history, that it's taking a, a... a a good bit of a legal risk by uh, taking the approach it's it's proposing in ACE for uh, weakening new source review. And I think they want to protect the rest of the rule um, should the court find that the new source review change is illegal. Um, I think it's it's a tricky question as to whether or not the mere assertion on the part of the agency that the new source review proposal or the new source review provision is severable, um, uh, as lawyers put it, um, I think it's tricky as to whether or not a court would take that at face value. If you actually read the ACE proposal, the way in which the agency argues that uh, new source review or the new source review change is instrumental to achieving uh the potential heat rate improvement measures that ACE proposes. That sort of instrumental relationship, as argued by the proposal, may make a court think twice before taking at face value the agency's assertion that new source review or this particular new source review provision is severable. Um, but but clearly the agency, you know, I, I, agency seems to be acknowledging that it's taking a legal risk. Uh, and wants to quarantine that risk, just for the new source review provisions.
0: Well, if, if the new source re- review provision is shot down, then the economic boost to the coal industry, the coal-fired generation industry, may be taken away because any any uh, again any generator or upgrade would have to also implement new source review mm-hmm. co- compliant upgrades as well. So then you end up with this whole uh, regulation. ACE that in effect accomplishes nothing. It doesn't accomplish really getting coal plants to upgrade and it's all a wash.
1: Yeah, yeah, I think I think that's right. Um, that's why I think and I think you know at a legal level, uh, you know there, there's there may be a sort of instrumental connection or an, almost an integration of the logic of the operational efficiency requirements and the facilitative role that the new source review change. Uh, provides that you know really, as you say, you know, either they all either hang together uh, legally, or the whole rule falls down. Um, but again, it's it, you know there are people who uh, are who are viewing this rule as as just an elaborate delay tactic. Mm-hmm. Um, not to say that the agency is not going to follow through and, and finalize um, the rule. Um, But it it seems like its it's sole purpose, from a climate policy point of view, is to try to either create an enormous hurdle for a successor administration that wants to use the Clean Air Act in this way, um, or completely stop uh, a successor administration. But meanwhile, um, along the way, it is sort of seeding the utility sector with, you know, potentially uh, new inducements to put money into coal plants um, where sheer economics might suggest um,
0: otherwise. Joe, the EPA is also looking to roll back CAFE emission standards for the automotive uh, industry for cars and trucks. A question I have for you on this one, and this has been really covered, the the overall issue covered a lot in the news over the last month, but uh, one of the key issues is, will the EPA attempt to rescind California's waiver that allows it to have higher fuel economy standards?
1: Looking at what uh, the EPA and the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration proposed jointly and in parallel, um, they... Constructed the argument for taking away California's waiver in a very clever way, but the elements on which they constructed it um, are uh, are weak. Essentially, whether or not the administration prevails in uh, will be it will have to prevail in court in justifying the, the withdrawal of a waiver that's already been granted. Um, will depend on whether or not a court is willing to ignore cases that have already been decided on the question of whether or not CAFE, which governs fuel economy, preempts the provision of the Clean Air Act, which governs emissions, um, on which the California waiver is based. Essentially what the administration is now arguing, and it's an argument that has lost at least twice in federal courts, and was put into the shade um, by the Supreme Court when it decided Massachusetts versus EPA, um, that defined greenhouse gases as an air pollutant. You know, the agent, the the Trump administration is now trying to argue away the two federal district court cases and the language in the Supreme Court case to claim that the cafe provisions. Um, the Energy Policy and Conservation Act preempt California and preempt California on the basis of the fact that even though California's waiver is for air emissions, it functions like a fuel economy provision, and uh, California can't go there. Now, again, to make this argument, they have to, they're really running uphill um, because EPA granted the California waiver for greenhouse gas emissions, um, and the EPA's decision to do that has already been upheld. So the the agencies right now, the two agencies, um, are really trying to, uh, how should I put this, thread a needle which may not have an eye in trying to make make the argument. Um, That said, sometimes federal courts are inclined to defer to federal agencies, but is a very strong countervailing consideration that the courts tend to really support cooperative uh, federalism. Um, and certainly the, the provision that allows California to earn a waiver uh, from from the EPA uh, is, again, another model of cooperative federal, federalism between states and federal agencies.
0: As um, ACE and the CAFE rollbacks are being litigated, Will the new uh, regulations go into effect, or will they be on hold until the litigation is is complete? And how long might this take?
1: This is just a guess. Um, I think that if the the CPP is repealed and ACE is finalized, I think it would be difficult for a a challenging party to get ACE to be stayed. Um, So I think it will go forward albeit on a very slow implementation schedule. I think that if the agency lifts the California waiver and says you can no longer enforce the requirements that you had initially put on automobiles sold in the state for their greenhouse gas emissions, then I think because it requires so much, because California has been relying on that waiver up until this point, because other states have been relying on the waiver, uh, because uh, uh, the design and manufacturing of automobiles requires so much lead time, I think California might well find the basis for going to a court and saying that the court has to stay mm-hmm. the withdrawal of the waiver. But again, that's kind of, that's speculation. that's not not you know carefully thought through. Um, and the, really, the basis for my speculation is just the sheer complexity uh, and um, complex web that has long since been woven between and among the federal government, the automobile manufacturers and California and the other states uh, and it, it in some ways it's shocking that the Trump administration has attempted to wade into the middle of this um, when as far as what's visible to the public, even the automobile manufacturers, by and large, are not advocating for the withdrawal of the waiver.
0: Well, they don't and want two markets.
1: They, they don't want two markets, and they don't. And they there's absolutely no way that they will be shielded from uh, a long period of uncertainty if the administration goes through with this. The only way they could avoid that uncertainty is if they, on their own motion. Uh, decide to keep building, if you will, California cars, and just essentially moot uh, the rulemaking. But what what precipitated this is that the car manufacturers were looking for some, you know, moderate changes in the implementation of the California car, car program.
0: Be careful what you wish for. <laughs> yeah,
1: they're they're, they're stuck. They, you know, they mm-hmm. wanted. You know, they thought that they could. Uh, adjust the dials, you know, very, very subtly. Uh, and in effect, what the administration seems to prefer to do is to simply smash the control panel.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Let me ask you this, Joe, uh, to, to sum up. Uh, love, like, love to hear your opinion on on a thought here. You know, ACE and in, in the weakened automotive fuel economy standards are still, in fact, forms of carbon regulation, however weakened they may be. Um, they are also, in effect, maybe the least that the administration feels that it can get away with and still meet its climate obligations or the agencies, the EPA's climate obligations. So so if there's a bright spot in anything that we've been talking about, it's possible that both ACE and revised CAFE standards are in sense, maybe a tacit admission from the Trump administration that it's no longer possible to ignore carbon emissions and climate change and Turn back the clock to the day when climate didn't figure into our nation's politics. Does that seem at least a silver lining? And we'll see what happens with the actual regulations.
1: Um, it's it's pretty thin gruel. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I the the um, you know the the the, the min, these moves um, are going to be devastating um, in a very particular way. Um, we are now. Uh, you know, as an economy, uh, thinking nationally as well as globally, probably at the end of a window in time in which we could put in motion the kinds of sweeping changes needed to drive our greenhouse gas emissions down and to do it, uh, if you will, uh, steeply, if not precipitously. And the fact that the administration is using its authority under the Clean Air Act, both to address power plants and automobiles, to do as close to nothing as possible, or even worse than nothing. When just three years ago, the national government, via the CPP, was sending a comprehensive signal to investors and innovators that now was the time to focus their attention on clean energy and on decarbonizing uh, the economy, Um, the, the fact that that signal has been replaced by the kind of uh, at best, and I really mean at best money or ambiguous signal um, is, is devastating. Uh, you know so I, I, I think you know you're right that people have noticed that the agents uh, that the administration has stopped short, uh, at least so far, of moving to repeal the endangerment finding. Um, but what they've really done is absolutely crush, Um, any sort of signal to investors, to the marketplace, to technology developers, uh, to people operating large utility systems. uh, They've absolutely crushed any sort of signal that their their day-to-day decisions and long-term decisions have to be driven by um, the goal of, of decarbonizing the economy.
0: Joe, thanks for talking.
1: Sure. Thank you, Andy.
0: My guest has been Joe Goffman, Executive Director of the Environmental Law Program at Harvard University and former Senior Legal Counsel in the EPA's Office of Air and Radiation during the Obama administration. As Energy Policy Now starts our third season, we've expanded the number of places where you can find us. The podcast is now on Spotify and on Google's new podcast app for Android. You can also listen to Energy Policy Now on Alexa Smart Speaker's through TuneIn Radio, or through the AnyPod skill on your Alexa. However you listen, we'd love to know what you think of the show. If you have feedback, please drop us an email. Our address is UPen.edu. Thanks for listening to Energy Policy Now, and have a great day.